Scripture passage this evening is once again Exodus 20. It can be found in your pew Bibles on page 118. I think uh, next Sunday evening I'll read the, uh, the Ten Commandments from Deuteronomy just so we can hear the commandments from there as well. But Exodus 20, verse 1 through 17. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day... Is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. As for the reading of God's holy word, may he bless it to the hands, hearts, and minds of his people. We're also going to be looking at Lord's Day 38 and 39. This evening can be found in the back of your Psalter handles on page 52. And we can read the answers together with one voice. What is God's will for us in the fourth commandment? First, that the gospel ministry and education for it be maintained. And that, especially on the festive day of rest, I regularly attend the assembly of God's people to learn what God's word teaches, to participate in the sacraments, to pray to God publicly, and to bring Christian offerings for the poor. Second, that every day of my life, I rest from my evil ways. Let the Lord work in me through his spirit, and so begin already in this life, the eternal Sabbath. What is God's will for us in the fifth commandment? That I honor, love, and be loyal to my father and mother, and all those in authority over me, that I obey and submit to them as is proper when they correct and punish me, and also that I be patient with their failings, for through them God chooses to rule us. Having chosen to cover Lord's Day 38 and 39 this evening, the sermon is going to look a little bit different because there's no way to necessarily synthesize those two. So what I want you to get the idea of here is, and don't get nervous when I say this, two sermons. One sermon is going to be on the fourth commandment, 
And one is going to be on the fifth commandment, um, but because of that, we'll keep it brief. A 15-minute sermon and a 15-minute sermon. That's my goal, okay? So let's get right into it. We're going to start with the fourth. The theme for the fourth is this. The Lord has commanded for his people a special day of rest. I think I always start with the blue marker and then I realize that's the one that's gone. We're going to look at this in three points. The celebration. Number two, the activity. And number three, the promise. Okay? The Lord has commanded for his people a special day of rest. And so then we're going to talk about the celebration of this day of rest, the activity on this day of rest, and the promise in this day of rest. So let's start with the celebration. Point number one, the celebration of this day of rest, okay? The word in the German here, and I'm not even going to try to say it, is the German for festive. And what I'm talking about here is when it says that, especially on the festive day of rest, but it's the same German word used for Holiday. Holiday. Therefore, the Catechism wants us to view the Lord's Day as a day of celebration, a day of worship and praise, not a solemn day of gloom, okay? And that's important. It's a day of expressing gratitude and thanks for God's covenant faithfulness, for God's story of redemption in Christ Jesus. A day of enjoying something that the catechism is very prominent on, our only comfort. It's a day of enjoying our only comfort. In summary, all the commandments leading up to the fourth show us that we have a special day of worship in which to praise our triune God. What God do we worship? The Lord who brought us out of Egypt, right? The one who cannot be imaged in any way, but must only be worshipped as he has commanded us in his word. By the living preaching of his word, we are to be instructed. The one whose name must be hallowed in all the earth so that we may properly confess him, pray to him, and praise him in everything that we do and say. This is the heart of Lord's Day 38. That it be a day of seeking pleasure in the Lord. And the blessed communion of the saints and resting from the busyness and worldly distractions of other days. If I could put it in another way, I would say this. If we ever get into the nitty-gritty about what you're supposed to do on the Lord's Day and what you're not supposed to do on the Lord's Day, I kind of thought of this example. Let's say, and this is not to point at any particular person, 
Let's say you were traveling on the Lord's Day. I'm sure many of us have experienced that. It seems like it's the most convenient day to travel. Let's say you're traveling on the Lord's Day and you have to stop and get gas and you stop and get something to eat. And oftentimes when we talk about legalism when it comes to the commandments, we focus on, well, you made somebody have to work because you went to the gas station. You made somebody have to work because you, you went out to eat on, on the Lord's Day. But what Lord's Day 38 wants us to think about this celebration, and we'll get into it more, is that actually the thing that you should be most upset about because you're traveling on Sunday is that you've missed worship. And then when you consider all those other realities that surround the Lord's Day, whether people should work, right? Whether you should go to a store and then by going to the store you're obliging that person to work and there's all these arguments, right? But really in our mind, it should not be that we're causing them to work, but because we're causing them to work, they're missing worship. A couple years back, Christmas Day fell on the Lord's Day, on a Sunday. And we were visiting family in Tennessee and I remember we went to church that day, Covenant PCA there in Oak Ridge, this wonderful, beautiful church. And as we were driving home, everything was shut down. Now, does that mean that everybody was in church? Surely not. But it was a future glimpse, I think, of the intention of the commandment, and that is that we should not be required to work so that we may be required. We may be blessed to go to worship, to praise the living God. So celebration is the idea here. Celebration is really what, what the catechism wants us to focus on. But let's talk more about the activity because I'm already kind of getting into that, right? I'm going to come back to that phrase about gospel ministry and education for it to be maintained I think that's not uh, meant to be the focal point of the fourth commandment. I think the focal point of the fourth commandment is the festive day of rest. Festive day of rest. So activity on this day of rest. We're called to attend the assembly of God's people. This is not, uh, in the original German, the word for church. It would be the word for congregation. It's the word for congregation. It's the gathering for worship and praise on Sunday, the New Testament Lord's Day, the first day of the week, the day in which our Lord rose from the dead for our justification. The reason for mentioning the gathering to be what it says, especially on the Lord's Day, right? It's kind of a bit of a qualifier, you could say, especially on the Lord's Day. It says that especially on the festive day of rest, the importance of that especially is that, that in the Old Testament, there were other times in which God's people would gather for worship that were not on the Sabbath. And our tradition maintains that reality with something that we call feast days. If you go into the, the Westminster tradition, the Presbyterian tradition is what it would be called, there is a heavy emphasis on the only holy day is the Lord's Day, and we should not celebrate things like Christmas 
We should not celebrate things like um, Ascension Day, like Pentecost or anything like that. The focus is on the Lord's Day. That's the only holy day for a Christian. But in our tradition, our continental tradition, we've kept something called feast days. And when you think feast days, you should think Good Friday, Ascension Day, Thanksgiving Day service, Christmas Day, Old Year, New Year. You guys are all familiar with these, these different days, right? Particularly these feast days are any day in which God's people would gather for a special worship service that wouldn't be on the Lord's Day. And we don't call these holy days, but I would say they are helpful in reminding the people of God about the story of redemption. I would call them something like a liturgical calendar catechesis, if that makes sense. That is that woven into our church calendar, you could say, is the story of Christ, Him coming into this world, Him living for us, Him dying upon the cross, Him becoming raised uh, to new life, Him ascending to the Father. It's, It's all the important elements of the Apostles' Creed right there on our calendar. And it teaches God's people, I think, uh, what, is, what is so beautiful about this story of redemption. The activity on the Lord's Day, here are the elements, though, given to us here. Especially on the festive day of rest, I regularly attend the assembly of God's people to learn what God's word teaches, to participate in the sacraments, to pray to God publicly, and to bring Christian offerings for the poor. So we've got preaching of the word, we got administration of the sacraments, we got public prayer, and I would actually add to that singing of hymns and psalms, because the the hymns and psalms of God's people are the prayers of God's people, okay? And then also we have Christian offerings for the poor. This is taken right out of Acts chapter 2, verse 42, the people gathered for the fellowship and for the breaking of bread and for the teaching of the apostles, right? The emphasis is on the responsibility of each believer to attend this assembly to experience personal fellowship with God. So, so gathering for worship is the activity of the Lord's Day. For this reason, the function of festive worship on the Lord's Day and added activity then is the gospel ministry and education for it to be maintained. If you read that and ever thought to yourself, I'm very confused by that. In fact, one of my first days at seminary, I asked Dr. Venema about this. What is gospel ministry and education for it to be maintained? And since he, you know, is the president of a seminary, he was very happy and obliged to tell me all about how one function of the Lord's Day is that we as the people of God would consider that if we are going to have preachers who properly preach the pure gospel and administer the sacraments, and lead God's people in public prayer, then we need to have somewhere where they can go to do that. Shameless plug for Mid-America Reform Seminary. The people of God must be concerned about and properly support the continued education of preachers and teachers so that the activity of the Lord's Day may be maintained. So this puts the emphasis on worship. Worship is the key factor to the Lord's Day. A festive day, a celebratory day of worship is the main activity. And this 
comes right in line with the promise of the Lord's day. The promise in this day of rest is seen in the second half of answer 103. That every day of my life I rest from my evil ways, lest the Lord, or let the Lord work in me through his spirit, and so begin already in this life the eternal Sabbath. Right before uh, the sermon, we, we sang that song, Sing to the Lord, the rock of our salvation. That psalm is quoted in Hebrews, and it says, Don't harden your hearts as they did before us. Those who wandered in the desert for 40 years and were not allowed to enter into God's rest, which is the promised land. For there still remains a rest for God's people. And what that is speaking of in Hebrews is that eternal Sabbath rest. This special festive day of rest is to remind us of the future eternal rest that awaits us in God's presence. The Lord's day is a preview of life in the presence of God forever and the new heavens and the new earth. The salvation that each of us experience, that is salvation... That each of us experienced by true faith in Jesus Christ, worked in us by the Holy Spirit, is the beginning of the eternal Sabbath. So in this day and every day, we reflect upon God's work in our lives, the forgiveness of our sins and the countless blessings that we experience. And this prepares us spiritually for the week ahead and prepares us for our eternal future. Which is why I often say, if you're not excited about worship, wait till you get to the new heavens and the new earth. I remember when I was young, they would display or picture heaven like one big long church service. And that didn't really make eight-year-olds and nine-year-olds and ten-year-olds very excited. But when you capture the glory of Christ and you realize your only comfort in life and death has come, has died, and now you have blessed mystical union with him and you realize that on that day all sin will no longer keep you from his face and you will worship him in spirit and in truth perfectly without error, without distraction, you begin to understand how wonderful and beautiful Worship on the Lord's Day truly is because it's simply a glimpse, a taste of what we will have in eternity. So I want to maintain the focus as a positive reality and not really get lost in the details of what we're allowed to do and what we're not allowed to do on the Lord's Day because my, my, my thinking is, is if we realize that God rested on the Sabbath day, not for his sake, but for ours. And we realize when Jesus says the Sabbath is for man, it's for us. And we realized how glorious and how amazing and how wonderful and how awesome worship was, we wouldn't be asking about whether we can go grab a bite of ice cream after church service. We would be saying, Lord, you've given this day to us that we may revel an intimate worship with you. 
And I know how distracted and busy I am, so I praise God that he sought wise to give us such a day. So there's a threefold exposition of the fourth. The intention is we're called to love God in gratitude by using the festive day of rest for worship and praise. And by the way, that's the reason why our forefathers believed it was important for us to have a morning worship service and an evening worship service. It bookends the day in worship and encourages us to spend all the day that we have in worship. And I don't think that means close the blinds and make sure that you can, well, you can, you can throw a ball, baseball, with your kids, but you can't play a game where you add points. I, I had somebody the other day online say, yeah, we don't go out to eat after church on Sunday. We have a light lunch or something like that. And I said, why don't you invite people over from your community and have a feast? Because that's what the Lord's Day is about. You get that idea, right? So that's the intention. The negative expression is we are not to continue in our evil ways but to rest from them every day of our lives. Positive expression, we're required to maintain the gospel ministry and education for it. And especially on the festive day of rest, we are to regularly attend the assembly of God's people to listen to the preaching of the word, to pray and sing with fellow believers, and to participate in the sacraments with them and to give offerings for the poor. And if you look at our order of worship liturgy, you'll see that all those elements exist because we believe that's what the Lord's Day is all about. It's about worshiping God. It's about God inviting us into a special day of worship. It's about believing that God does come to his people on the Lord's Day in worship in a unique way. All right? So that's the fourth commandment, sermon one done. Now we're going to look at the fifth, okay? And the theme for the fifth is the Lord calls his people. To submit. The Lord calls his people to submit to lawful authorities. And may I add, especially parents. The first thing that we're going to look at is parents and children. So that relationship, right? The second thing we're going to look at is other authorities. And when I say other authorities, I'm typically thinking ecclesiastical or church authorities. And then also governmental authorities. And then the third thing we're going to look at is um, our call to patience. So the Lord calls his people to submit to lawful authorities, especially parents. First point, parents and children. Second point, other authorities. And then final point, uh, call to patience. Parents and children, PNC. We're moving into the second table of the law, and here we receive instruction concerning, quote, what we owe our neighbor, right? And I do believe there is a second table element to the Sabbath. Um, we're told that we are not allowed to, uh, we shouldn't work, not even our, the alien within our gates, right, so that they can gather for worship as well. What we owe our neighbors. So it's appropriate that God would start with our closest neighbors, Right? 
pop quiz, who's your closest neighbor? It's your family. Husband, wife, children, parents, so on and so forth. The family unit is the first structure of authority which God established. Adam and Eve in the garden, right? This family unit is essential to the well-ordering of society. If you want to know what's going wrong with our society today, you can look one place, and it's the destruction and the breakdown of the family. That's what's going on. God knows that the right kind of values, responsibility, and moderation come primarily from training in the home. Values like, well, what answer 104 says, honor, love, loyal, loyalty. So we have honor, love, and loyalty. And we realize God knows that if instruction and honor, love, and loyalty happens in the home, it leads to right-mindedness. So it starts in the home, right? It leads to right-mindedness in society. Or we could say... In uh, all aspects of society, okay? God knows that the right kind of values, responsibility, and moderation come primarily from training in the home, values like honor, love, and loyalty. This commandment was to point Israel to its broader laws, the laws which would order their society as they entered the promised land. So, God gave more than the Ten Commandments. He gave civil laws and ceremonial laws, particularly in mind here are the civil laws. These laws were to function in such a way as to allow them to live peaceable and orderly lives. This would bring glory to God and function as a light to the surrounding nations. We're told that God says, if you follow my laws and you abide by them, that the nations around you will say, this people has a God like any other, like unlike any other God, and this people has laws and statutes unlike any other nation, okay? The promise in this command pointed to the promise God gave Abraham. What did God promise Abraham? Abraham said, I will make you a great and blessed nation, and that you will be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. So this kind of has in mind here an Abrahamic principle. Abrahamic. Therefore, in order to faithfully live out this calling, the fifth commandment was given. Honor your father and your mother, that it may go well with you in the land the Lord your God has given you. This commandment reminded the people that respect for authority began in the family unit to prepare children for God-blessed, God-directed adult life in the wider community and the world around them. Let me give you an example. Back when I was in Rensselaer, I was a bus driver for the local school corporation. And the biggest trouble kids I had were kindergartners. Spitting, biting, throwing things at me while I'm driving. I'm not even kidding. This is, this is reality here, okay? These weren't Christian schools, okay? <laughs> Although that probably happened the same in Christian schools. And... Um, my initial threat that I would use would be this. If you don't stop that, I'm going to speak to your parents. Well, I found out very quick, that one don't work anymore, people. 
Because I would ask these kindergartners who got on the bus Monday morning, how was your weekend? What'd you do? Oh, I played Grand Theft Auto Vice City all weekend? Yeah, I played video games all weekend. Now I know why you're biting, spitting, screaming, and throwing things at me, okay? So this is why the ordering of the family is so important. This is why the fifth commandment, honor your father and mother, is so important. It's not a prod to my kids. I don't just go, hey, honor your father and mother. That's what God's word says. Although it can be used that way sometimes. This is why the violation of this commandment received the death penalty. Peyton and Keegan, are you listening? (laughs) Next chapter, Exodus 21, we're told that if a child does not honor their father or mother there to receive the death penalty. This is the importance. Because the breakdown of the family unit is the breakdown of society. If you can get at the family, then you can ruin the culture. If you can get at the family, then you can see chaos. And Ephesians 6, 1-4 brings this application into the new covenant very profoundly. Paul talks to children in the gathered assembly. It's one of the reasons why we believe children are covenant members of our church, right? Verse 1, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. There's the commandment, right? But look at the next thing. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, Bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. It's my wife's favorite verse for me. It's true, though. I need that reminder often. But there are other kinds of authority besides this mother, father, child structure. Usually when I'm uh, speaking to my kids and I'm telling them about the importance of honoring their father and mother, I am talking to them about the God-ordained safety and structure which God has given in this world. And, and this is what God says. If you are within my blessing, then you're safe, right? And the same is true for parents and their children. I tell my sons, you must obey me because not only has God commanded it, but because God has commanded it for your good. that you may live long in the earth. There are other kinds of authority. There's two, I would think, that uh, the Scriptures directly speak to. One is government. And this is important because it says here, I am to honor, love, and be loyal to my father and mother and all those in authority over me, right? Romans 13 speaks to government authorities and says that they have been instituted by God, that they are God's servant to punish evildoers and to encourage those who do good, and that we must submit to them. But there is a caveat here. It says, as is proper. And this is important because we are never to submit to governing authorities who ask us to do something that is contrary to our one Lord, Jesus Christ, right? The same goes for our authority with fathers and mothers. If they, if they were to ask us to do something that was contrary to God's commands, then we say, no. 
Romans 13, 1 through 7 speaks to that. You can read it on your own time if you want. The, heart, the most difficult and saddening part about Romans 13 is it says that we should pay taxes to who taxes are due. There's another one, too. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. It's my favorite verse for you guys. Wait for it. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17 says this. Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. The idea here is that if the parental structure, the family structure is upheld and virtues like honor, love, and loyalty are taught at home and God's word is opened up and prayers are given and songs are sung, that when that child enters into the culture and into society, he will have a right understanding about how he should properly submit to the government and maybe you could say even more importantly how he, could, he should or she should properly submit to the elders of his church who watch over his soul or her soul, right? So those are other kinds of authorities. And the last final thing that's said here is that we should have patience in this submission. So we should be patient in this submission. It says that we're to obey them and support to, uh, submit to them as is proper when they, when they correct and punish us. And the last thing, and also that I be patient with their failings, for through them God chooses to rule us. We're required to be patient with those in authority over us. The reasoning is simple. We live in a sinful, fallen world. None of these authorities are perfect. Our parents aren't perfect. The government surely is not perfect. And church elders are not perfect either. Parents make mistakes, church leaders make mistakes, civil magistrates make mistakes. Answer 104, 104 assumes that the authorities in our lives will fail. And John Calvin says in his Institutes Concerning Government Authorities, knowing that someone has been placed over us by the Lord's ordination, we should render to him reverence, obedience, and gratefulness, and should perform such other duties for him as we can. This is important for us as we continue to live in a nation that is turning away from the Lord, as government authorities make decisions that we disagree with, as we seek to prophetically inform the government according to God's laws, we live in a very imperfect nation. And maybe even could say a nation that is becoming increasingly more difficult to submit to a government. But showing proper reverence to authorities is part of the application of the fifth commandment. But concerning family, John Calvin says this, God has expressly bidden us to reverence our parents who have brought us into this life. Nature itself ought in a way to teach us this. So what's the threefold exposition of the fifth? We have intention. We have the negative expression. And we have the positive expression. The intention is that we are to show gratitude to God by loving our neighbor and by honoring those through whom God chooses to rule us. That includes parents, that includes government authorities, that includes church authorities, right? 
negative expression. We are not to dishonor or disobey those in authority over us, and we must be patient with their failings. And the positive expression is we are called to honor love and be loyal to our parents and all those in authority over us to the glory of God. We are to obey and submit to them as is proper when they correct and punish us, and we are to be patient with their failings, for through them God chooses to rule us. May it be a comfort to us to know that the Lord has commanded for his people a special day of rest. May we revel in the celebration of this day of rest and the activity of this day of rest and the promise of this day of rest. May it be a blessing and a comfort to us to know that the Lord calls his people to submit to lawful authorities, especially our parents. May we know that our family units are so important and instruction in the Lord. May we know that we are to lawfully submit to government authorities, to ecclesiastical or church authorities. And may we know that we are called to have patience in this submission, submission and be aware that they will fail and be imperfect in this. This is what God's word teaches us in the fourth and fifth commandment. May we live these lives of gratitude to God for what he has done for us in Jesus Christ our only comfort in life and in death. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have called us to this special festive day of worship, that you have given us your grace, that you have met us here uniquely, that by faith we may worship you in spirit and in truth, and we may see a foretaste of the eternal Sabbath to come. Lord, help us. Help us to honor our fathers and our mothers. Help us to honor those who are in authority over us. Give us patience with their failings, that we may obey and submit to them as is proper when they correct and punish us, knowing that you have chosen to rule us through them. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.